0: Hello again, class, and welcome to Lecture 3 of Basics of Human and Computer Interaction. Today, we will be reviewing the previous homework and talking about your responses to it. But before we do that, I have a few updates. First, I wanted to fill all of you in on the status of Gil Porter, a junior advertising major enrolled in this class. As you may recall, Gil mentioned that he really enjoyed unplugging from technology. He said that when he sat in perfect quiet, Without the calming din of his phone, tweeper, computer, gray slate software, and thought-sharing program turned on, he was able to focus better. He even said he was generating all kinds of unique and pleasant thoughts, song ideas, and poems. All on his own. What a crock of shit, right? Now class, I don't need to tell most of you how worrisome all this is. Human thoughts don't occur in a vacuum. We are influenced by all the things we hear, taste, smell, forcibly hallucinate in the forefronts of our brains, and read. Actually, I should probably amend that. I know most of you don't read. My class enrollment statistics tell me that only 40% of you know how to read in the traditional sense. But the advent of spinal downloading, reading has become basically obsolete. Only aging academics, paranoid libertarians, and the few surviving members of Generation X enjoy that shit. That's why I don't assign a textbook in this class. This saves your asses about $3,000 a semester, by the way you're welcome. Please keep this massive savings in mind when you fill out your Professor Yelp report at the end of the semester. Anyway, I had a little meeting with Gil Porter. He came down to my office in the second basement of Black and Decker Hall. He knocked on the door to my glass cubicle, and I told him to take a seat on the chair I have fashioned out of spare pieces of particle board and staples. And I said to him, Gil, have you unplugged again? And Gil said, oh, yes, I've been logged off for days. My spinal cord is disconnected right now. So I told him, Gil, that is a direct violation of the campus health code. If you are not connected to Wrong State University's mainframe, there is no way we can monitor your thoughts. We use thought monitoring to prevent crimes, music privacy, academic dishonesty. Furthermore, we use brain scanning data to evaluate teacher performance and rate student satisfaction. We need your data, Gil. Gil sat there for a moment, digesting my words. I think that's what he was doing. I'm not the best at reading facial expressions these days. After all, I spend about 22 hours a day in my glass cube, and the other two hours napping on a pile of Fritos wrappers in the Tension Prevention Laboratory. Normally, I would have used Gray Slate Education System to scan the contents of Gil's amygdala and recorded his skin conductance. This would have allowed me to figure out what emotions he was experiencing, or at least whether he was anxious. But he was completely disconnected from Gray Slate's mainframe. He was a mainframe. To- wild card. Thankfully, Wrong State University has trained me to deal with such situations. When you're having trouble communicating with someone, you are supposed to state your observations, ask questions, and be an active listener. So I said to him, you're not saying anything, Gil. Are you okay? I am listening. And Gil said, I feel really uncomfortable with where this class is headed. I hear you, I said. I know how you feel. Uh-huh. Yeah, tell me more. Then Gil said, I don't understand why humans are legally required to augment their bodies with technology. Oh yeah, very interesting, I replied. I was doing a great job at the active listening thing. That's a great point. So obviously this kid was really putting my tits on the chopping block. I am, after all, an adjunct instructor. I don't have tenure. Nobody has gotten tenure since 2028. A single one-star review on Professor Yelp get my ass canned. I'd have to move and go teach at a community college on a space station or something. I mean, I don't even have an apartment yet. All my stuff is in my glass cubicle in the second basement. I had to cook up a solution, a way to pacify this troubled student. So I said to him, Gil, you seem like a very perceptive and intelligent student. As it turns out, I need a perceptive and intelligent student to help me out as an assistant in the Tension Prevention Laboratory. You could help me conduct experiments and earn some extra credit. You'll learn a ton about human-computer interaction maybe you'll come to see things from my perspective. Then I explained to him that if he turned me down, my needle felting robot would have him march directly to the student wellness insurance complex. And he said yes. He took the job, so welcome, Gil Porter, to the Tension Prevention Laboratory staff. Gil will be responsible for hooking participants up to the EEG. He will collect their paperwork and obtain their fingerprints, and oaths of loyalty and consent by any means necessary. He will fill petri dishes with the fetal cells of porcupines, eagles, marmots, and narwhals. He will rinse the water, sweat, tears, hair, and blood off the tension prevention chamber walls. He'll measure the cellular spillage of the endangered animals. And finally, he'll stuff my ears with cotton and rubber when participants scream too loudly. So thanks for joining the team, Gil. Now, let's talk about the last homework. I asked all of you to write about your own history with technology, and I asked you what kind of augmentations you had installed in your body and mind. It turns out that 98% of you have a spinal port installed in your neck, and 100% of you have university microchips installed in your frontal lobes. The one outlier is Stanley Belknap, a distance learner based out of Kansas. His brain is wired to a dial-up connection using an ethernet port. It takes Stanley five hours to stream a single lecture into his eye sockets. Bless his heart. Furthermore, 43 percent of you have some form of obvious physical augmentation. For example, business major Hannah Olio has an artificial eye that allows her to scan barcodes, QR codes, and charge credit cards. That makes sense. And then there's Tucky Yalmaz, a varsity player on the Ultimate Frisbee team, who has rubberized, spring-loaded knees, and hip flexors, which help him perform on the field. While we're on that subject, the university's new endowment for Ultimate Frisbee will be used to purchase artificial limbs and artificial joints for every single player on the team. In addition, alcohol monitors will be installed in every player's liver and small cameras will be inserted into their nasal passages. This is to prevent violations of the University Code of Ethics. Anyway, fully 30% of this class has some form of artificial organ. A whole host of you have artificial pancreases, livers, kidneys, and lungs. Some of you have metabolism control software installed, particularly the fashion, wrestling, and horse racing majors. 15% of the class has a partially or fully artificial brain. That's a fairly low figure, by the way. If you have a B average or lower, you really ought to invest in a brain RAM upgrade. If you can't afford the university bookstores rates, you can always buy a knockoff from Russia. There's a slight risk of developing mad cow disease if you go that route, but I guess you'll have to decide what you value more, your gray matter or your wallet and your GPA. In case any of you were wondering, I do have a partially augmented brain. When I first started needle felting, my fine motor control was abysmal. I kept stabbing myself in the hands. So I increased the capacity of my pre-motor cortex, and I lowered my ability to experience physical pain. This worked out beautifully. In fact, I was so pleased with the results that I later had a second operation, which diminished my capacity to experience emotional pain as well. I also have silicone arches in my heels and a cell phone in my wisdom teeth, though I assume most of you are a bit too young to have jumped on the bandwagon when that craze was popular. Now let's talk about your responses to the second question on the homework. I asked you whether any of your friends or family had elected to upload their brains to the Haze. As it turns out, fully 88% of you have dead relatives or friends who have added their personalities and memories to the ever-expanding cloud-based consciousness. The vast majority of you indicated that you would like to upload your own brain with death approaches. Only 8% of you indicated that you'd prefer to abandon your loved ones forever and embrace oblivion, destroying all your irreplaceable memories and knowledge in the process. A selfish act to be sure, but for now, death is still totally legal. Now, these numbers are fairly typical. Across the globe, consciousness uploading is massively popular and ever-growing. No one likes the idea of death after all, especially brain death, and a global majority of people make the decision to upload. Of course, sometimes people die suddenly and unexpectedly away from medical equipment. When this happens, uploading sadly isn't possible. But here in the artificial empathy department, we are working on technology that will allow us to download the mind of dead persons. Think of the possibilities with this class. We could crack into the skulls of Egyptian kings and Tibetan farmers, famous painters, incorruptible saints. Think of all the data we could mine from them. Think of all the historical and philosophical scores that could be settled once and for all. All those assholes who like to talk about what the founding fathers or Jesus would do, we can finally shut them up. Sounds like a utopia to me. Oh, we're nearly out of time. I guess that brings us to the end of today's class. Next lecture, we'll discuss the many reasons why a person ought to upload their consciousness. Hopefully I can convert that 8% of you who are holdouts. Gil Porter, my eye is on you in particular. Anyway, enjoy your weekend class, and I will speak to you soon. Thanks, as always, for choosing Wrong State University.